Let's talk about 1 Thessalonians, you guys. I'm so excited to um, continue to walk through this book. In the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we, we enter into this, um, the, the text of this letter that Paul sent so long ago. Um, what we looked at last week was Paul speaking to this, this church, this group of people that responded um, to the gospel. So Paul showed up, spoke the word of God, even just for a short time, but those people, those individual people, this little church was formed because their hearts just came alive at the speaking of God's word. And there's this beautiful community that was shaped and formed in the midst of that. And, uh, and we were talking last week about how that's how the word of God works. It, it speaks like it speaks to us. God is speaking. And when we can be the kind of people that hear God's voice and that voice matters to us more than anything else, then those words become like seeds that sink down into our hearts and they begin to grow um, fruit and a harvest and all these kinds of things. And so my, my gentle like reminder and call and invitation to all of us is simply this. Have you been listening to the word of God this week, allowing it to be like a seed set in the soil of your heart. Have, have you been doing that? Now, I, um, I will be here week by week, right? All of us will be here together and we will open up the word of God and we'll let it be seeds here on Sunday morning. And that's a beautiful thing, an important thing, a vital thing. Um, but I just want to encourage you, the word of God is so available, right? It's, it's at your home, it's on your phone, it's everywhere you are. And I just encourage you, like, let's sow more seeds. Do it throughout the week. Pick up your Bible when you can. If you want to do what I do, I, um, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I read a chapter of the Bible off my phone before I even stretch or anything. And it's just that little seed, right? And then I find other times where I can open it up and I can go deeper. But just encourage us, like, let's be a people that's constantly sowing those seeds and let's see what God grows. So we're going to pick up from, the, from last week. We're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 um, this morning, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And Paul is going to um, describe something about his ministry and how it was received when he was with them. So he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much suffering and conflict. So Paul's saying, I came to you, uh, and he says that trip wasn't wasted. So why? Like, what was it about the trip that made it worthwhile, that made it not wasted for him to come and speak the word of God to them? We might, if we were going to evaluate Paul's ministry by, like, modern American standards, we'd say, oh, Paul had a good trip to the Thessalonians. I wonder what that looked like. It must have been that he was comfortable while he was there. It must have been that, like, the society as a whole, like, people really responded in large numbers, and he got a big movement kind of growing together, right? We might say, hey, you probably saw some financial gain. People gave a lot of money, and, like, he kind of, like, boosted his, um, his following or his finances or something like that, right? If we're going by modern American standards of what makes a ministry successful, we might suspect that all those things happened in Thessalonica. But what do we know about Thessalonica? It's not how it happened. It's not how it happened. There were individual hearts that took the word of God and heard it and responded. But what we know from reading Acts 17 is when Paul came, Paul and Silas came there, they came and they preached the word of God for, for like a few weeks, it seems, maybe up to a few months, but it was a short amount of time that they were there. And in that time, uh, a few people responded to the word of God and it was beautiful. But then the rest of the town, both the religious, uh, like Jewish leader type people and the like secular society got together and said, these guys have have to go, ran them out of town. Paul and um, Silas go on to the next town in Berea, and while they're there ministering Berea, the Thessalonians come and track them down and chase them on to yet another town into Athens. And so his response, his, uh, his acceptance in Thessalonica was not great, okay? And yet, Paul says, like, we preached to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, okay? So there was all this conflict, it was intense, but yet he says, 
it wasn't wasted. This time was a good time. This was a rich time. God did something. And he's saying, you yourselves know. Brothers and sisters, you guys both know um, the great reception that we had from you. So what is it that makes what he's doing worthwhile? What is it that makes his ministry um, worth it? Just picture Paul and Silas. They came, he talks about how they, they, they'd suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. We know what happens at Philippi. They were there preaching the word of God and they were taken, they were arrested, they were beaten, and then they were put in jail. And then it was in that jail in Philippi in Acts 16 that they were singing praises to God. God miraculously lets them out of jail. And the first thing they do is they come to Thessalonica. So you've got to imagine, here's Paul, okay, the traveling preacher coming into town and you've come in and he's just been beaten and imprisoned and then miraculously set free through this earthquake and this whole deal. When he's coming into town, man, he must have been bruised up. I bet he had like broken ribs or limbs or something. I bet he had black eyes or something. There, there's, this, um, there's this one guy, one, one friend of mine, that the first time I ever met him, he had two black eyes, you know? And you're just like, okay, I, I didn't know anything about him at the time, but you're like, two black eyes, there's a story here. This is going to be interesting. And, it, you know, and so it was actually a really boring story, as it turns out. <laughs> um, but, but you just picture Paul coming in all beat up, right? And he's like, guys. I've got the best news for you. <laughs> I've got this great news that I want to share with you. And, and somehow in the midst of that, here's this beaten man coming in. So what was it that made ministry worthwhile? What, what, was, it, what was the like, compelling core of the thing that this beat up couple of guys come in and are able to announce as good news to the people that are in Thessalonica? I, I think it looks like this. He's going he's gonna to unpack it a little bit, but I think it looks like this. They themselves had this encounter with God. So as Paul and Silas began speaking the words of God, they themselves had an encounter with God, right? Same thing for us, right? Like we could gather here and we could say, okay, what makes Creekside Church great or compelling? What's the compelling core of it all, okay? And and look, there's a lot of ways that we could go wrong in thinking about it, okay? Because we could say, it looks like like when we come, man, every sermon is better than the last and we're just like riding that high week by week, right? Every time I set foot in that building or in one of the small groups, uh, my soul just comes alive with the Lord, right? Every week I'm there, it's like the band keeps getting better and more exciting. It's so great, right? We could take all of those, I believe those are all missteps in how we're perceiving what's worthwhile. What's the compelling core of the whole thing? Because it is not all of that. Because we know, like, every sermon is not better than the last, right? And, every, and every, the band is, like, amazing, right? But it's not, it, we're not here to be blown away by religious experience. What we're here for, what's the compelling core of the whole thing is that we're a group of people that just acknowledges, like, hey, I'm, I'm weak and life's tough. But I come and I I just, I want to be around people where we can speak the word of God and I can have an encounter with God, right? We can be a group of people that just as when we walk in here week after week, it says Jesus saves in the wall, that we can be reminded. Maybe it's the first time we learn that Jesus actually saves and speaks into our lives and, and helps us to come alive in that like full human sense, right? We learn for the first time that Jesus saves. Or maybe we come and we gather with other people and we find out for the thousandth time through experience, that Jesus saves. Like, whatever that is, the compelling core of it all is this encounter with God through the way he speaks, through the good news of what he's done in Christ. These are the things that, like, make us come alive and bring us back again and again. And so Paul is saying, look, this is what the ministry of the word of God looks like. It looks like we come together, and he's basically describing himself, he and Silas, like these Old Testament prophets that come in. And the prophets always were faithful to speak the word of God, but they were always um, rejected and uh, beaten and all these kinds of things. And so he's saying, we came in like prophets among you. 
And now he's going to contrast it. He's going to talk this morning about our posture towards the word of God and, um, and our posture towards the community around us, okay? And so he's saying we came in like prophets, and he's going to give us a negative posture, and then he'll give us a more positive one. So the negative posture I see coming in verses 3 to 6, and you're going to see, I think he's describing this like, I, I, I read this description, and I think of a traveling salesman, and I think of a politician, okay? Here's what he says. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostle of Christ." See, Paul's addressing something that I think is really important here, and I feel like in modern America, we have the church and individual Christians, um, we've sort of gotten this reputation for like this kind of sleazy salesperson-y vibe, I think, you know? And you read about it in like news articles and stuff, we have a, a tragic number of examples of high-profile Christians, pastors, theologians, whatever, um, that are, like, cheating on their spouses, right? Or they're cheating on finances, or they're just trying to hobnob with, like, celebrity people and build a brand, and they're kind of bullying, and they're CEO types, and there's all these stories that keep coming out, right? There's, there's like, abuse in the churches. Like, what, like, the first three things that Paul lists here, he's saying we're not doing this, is he says we didn't come with error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but too often in our churches, right, we've let um, like sexual abuse scandals go on in the churches. And it's been like churches have been hiding it and covering it up. And we've been, people have been trying to like build their brand and build themselves up and, and make money and all these kinds of things on the church. And Paul's like, look, none of that, none of that. The, our relationship to the word of God, our relationship to the community around us has nothing to do with error or impurity or deceit. Like we don't want any of those things. And we've seen the word of God used in so many terrible ways. So many terrible ways. I mean, re recently, like in, in my lifetime, I've seen the word of God used to, to defend like Christian nationalism, okay? And like, like in both parties, I've seen like use the word of God to say, this is why I'm the best candidate. And it's like they're taking the word of God and using it as a political prop to do a certain thing. Over the years, over the like millennia, we've seen um, the Bible being pulled and used to defend slavery. You know, that's pretty terrible, right? You're using the word of God to defend this, right? Using the word of God to defend um, corrupt leaders and all, like in the church and outside the church, all these kinds of things that we do where we're taking the word of God and we're not letting it be what it is, but we're using it to suit our, our ends. And Paul's just saying, look, we, when we came, we spoke the word and it was not about error. It was not about impurity. It was not about deceit. He goes on to say it wasn't about pleasing men and women. It wasn't about pleasing any human being or about flattery. So we weren't here like politicians trying to make everybody feel good so that they would like us. And I'll just say that there's that huge pressure that we have, I think, as, as Christians. Maybe it's me as, like, my, my Enneagram 2 self. I'm a, I'm a helper. And so I want you guys to, like, like me and feel helped and positive about me. And so I want to just, like, give you guys the things that are going to make you the happiest. But the reality is is that when we stick close to the word of God, when God says something, we talked about this last week, when God says something, we want to be people that tremble at his word. What he says matters the most. It shapes our, our thoughts and, and, our, and our convictions and all these things. And so we want to step out then into the world with this core conviction. And it's not about how do I make everybody else feel good about this? How do I make everybody happy? How do I make sure that I'm popular with everyone? Paul's saying, no, we just stick with what the word of God says. We're trying to please God, not please human beings. 
Now, when we look in society, we can see, like, how this works, okay? It is very easy as Christians who take the word of God seriously to appear too conservative to the world around us, okay? So if you take a, a traditional view of marriage or a traditional sexual ethic, which I hold, it's very easy to then become unpopular to the world around us because why can't we just let, you know, these, why, why do we have to hold these things? It would be so much easier just to let it go and be loose and whatever. I can't. My convictions are pretty darn traditional with these types of things. Now, I want to hold all those in love, right? But I can't before God take his word and change it into something that it's not and, and go on. So it's easy to become unpopular with the world around us because we hold fast to what God is saying, right? But I want to highlight another side too, which is it's easy for us and it's becoming increasingly a problem, I believe, that, that we are afraid of not appearing conservative enough to our fellow church people. And I've seen this a number of times, right, where we try to stick to the word of God, but if you don't say the, the, exactly the right thing or if you don't say it quite in the right way or if you don't emphasize the right thing enough, there's people around that are going to look at us and be like, you know, I'm not sure that you're conservative enough for my taste, that are going to be upset. Uh, as, just as, a, as an example off the top of my head that's really recent, um, we're praying for refugees in Ukraine, and it seems like Christian community has decided we're going to get on board with that. I think we're pretty on board with praying for um, refugees in the whole Afghan crisis, right? But I am old enough to know of, like, refugee crises where they, where they like, I was perceived as liberal for saying, like, let's care for these refugees. Let's, let's pray for them, right? There's all, all I'm trying to say is with all these things, there's ways to try to be people pleasers, right? There's ways to look around and say, okay, like, yeah, I think this is what God's saying. Like, I, I have this conviction before the Lord, this is what he's saying. But when I say it over here to my friends that are not part of the church, I get viewed this way and it's negative and I'm a little bit worried about that. Meanwhile, on the other side, there's certain things that if you dig into the word of God and you hold tight to it, there's, there's things from your church family that's going to be like, you know, I don't think, you know. And, and all of it is to say, look, I, I love you guys so much. I care about what you think in a lot of ways, Okay. But the bottom line and what Paul's saying and what Paul's calling all of us to is what matters the most is what God thinks. What matters the most is what God thinks. And so if God is saying something and I'm hearing it clearly and he's convicting my heart, that's got to be what I hold to. And the same is true for every single one of us. Like, like, I know you guys like me too, okay? I know it. My Enneagram 2 self knows that you guys like me, okay? And I, I hold on to believing that, right? Um, but you don't, you don't care what I think. Don't, you should not care what I think about you, right? Ultimately, I'm not your doctrine police. I'm not the one that's going to tell you where you're right or wrong. I'm not the one who's going to be your moral conscious. The key is you be the one that digs into the word of God and you stand before him with your theology, with the things that you're holding, with the convictions that you hold. Paul says in here, um, we're not trying to please men. He says it's before, um, let's see, how does he say it? Um, we've been entrusted by God with the gospel. And so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, he's saying it's God who tests our hearts, okay? So I can see you guys, okay? I can see what you're about. I can listen to you to explain your doctrines and your convictions. I can watch how you kind of hold yourself, but I can't see what's really going on in your hearts. The problem is God sees that exceedingly well for all of us, for me and for all of you, right? God sees down. Now, it doesn't matter how articulate you are in expressing your theology. It doesn't matter, like, if maybe some of my convictions differ in subtle ways from yours. Like, I don't think that matters a ton. I think what matters the most is that there's a God who, like, has spoken these words to us, and then he can see deep into our hearts, and he knows how we're holding it. And so I think the question for myself and for all of us this morning is, can we hold our convictions 
our biblical convictions before the Lord, knowing that he sees our hearts. Can I hold this before the Lord? And if I can, if I can stand in God's presence and say, Lord, I, I don't understand all the mysteries of theology. I don't, I don't know how to articulate this super well, but I, I believe these things about you. If we can do that, then who cares what anyone else thinks? Right? Who cares who thinks I'm too conservative? Who cares who thinks I'm too liberal? Who cares, like, they, they think I'm misinformed, whatever, right? I just, Lord, before you, I want to hold these convictions. And, man, I would love for us to be a community. And I, I think we really are this, a community where we're okay, it's okay to ask questions, right? It's okay to dig deeper into the word of God together, to question something that maybe I was growing up with, to voice a question out loud without fear of being, like, um, just put down and oppressed because, oh, no, 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 we don't question these things. Why not be a community that's open and wrestling and really our hearts before the Lord are just saying, God, I want to dive further and further into your word and your gospel and let it shape my life and the way that I live. I want to do that and we'll do it together. And man, I would love to have those conversations with like any and all of you guys. I love talking about these things, even the, the things that are like kind of edgy and scary or whatever. I love it so much. And I love that we can be a community, that we can share those things with each other, have those conversations, digging further and further into um, the word of God. The last thing I want to say here um, is Paul saying what, what we're not. Okay, as we bring the word of God, we're, we're not all about this greed and this, this people pleasing and all this kind of thing. He says, also, he says, we're in verses five and six. We're not here to seek money. Like we're not here for a pretext for greed, seeking money or seeking glory for ourselves. And I know I've got a friend that um, he, he is very skeptical of the church because growing up, um, his, his mom, they, they were very poor. Like him living with his mom, they were very, very poor. Weren't even eating three meals a day, but she would give to the church that she was at, which is beautiful, right? Jesus says like that widow with her last two coins, like she puts in, it's a beautiful thing. But he watched his mom put this money in the offering plate, right? And then he'd watch the pastor at the end of the service get into his Rolls Royce and drive away and drive home, right? And just says like, I don't want anything to do with a church that's like that, right? And so for us, it has nothing to do with greed. It has nothing to do with glory. Like this isn't about a platform for any of us. It's not about how we look. It's not about the optics with anything. Paul's just saying like, when we came, we weren't posturing ourselves like this. What does he say? He says, we have been, in verse four, we've just been entrusted with the word of God. He says, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And, and there's differences between Paul and us for sure. But I'm here to tell you that if you're a person that has heard that gospel, the message that, that almighty God, whom we have rebelled against and separated ourselves from, that God loves us deeply and invites us past our failures, right? Not because we've been able to morally climb the ladder, not because we've been good enough, not because we're impressive to him or to anybody else, right? That God loves us. And because of that, he sent Jesus, his son, to die for us. And in Jesus dying for us, we find forgiveness for all of our sins. We find hope and healing. We find a restored relationship with God. We find reconciliation with him. It's beautiful. So that gospel, if we are people here that have heard that gospel and it sinks down like a seed into our hearts and it begins to make sense and we find ourselves coming alive, experiencing a little bit of that life in Jesus, I think what Paul says about himself here is equally true of us. That if that is how we've responded to the gospel, then we have been approved by God to be entrusted with his gospel. So that means the words of God, that beautiful message of God becomes then this thing that we're entrusted with, that we get the honor of carrying on behalf of the Lord and carrying it to the people around us and saying, look, I've been entrusted with this. Look how beautiful this is. Look how powerful these words are. Look how life-changing this is to my heart. And we're just entrusted to carry that to the people around us. 
So while in the world, there are all kinds of people that take the word of God and use it for all sorts of things it was never intended to be. Self-promotion, self-flattery, self, um, and, and, and all these errors and whatever impurities. He's saying, look, it's just all about pleasing God. And can we stand before the Lord and just allow him, like, be that kind of community that just stands before the Lord holding his word. So Paul's talking about the posture. We came like prophets, and look, we didn't come with all of these impure motives. So now he's going to say, what should be our posture towards the word of God and towards the community around us? And I love, these are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I love the way that Paul describes this. So he says it in um, verses 7 and 8 here. He says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So I love what Paul is saying. Man, we came in all this conflict and everything else. We weren't trying to build up this whole thing. We weren't trying to build a brand or, or become impressive. But he says, we were just like nursing moms with all of you. I, I love that. We were gentle among your, or, or um, some of your translations will say we were like um, childlike among you. But the idea is basically just we were here without arrogance, without making demands, without being pushy or rough. We were here gently like nursing mothers among you just there to care and administer the word of God to you. I love it so much. It's a little bit startling, Paul, you know, being a dude and all, um, talking about himself as a nursing mother, but um, there's this study that Margot Houts and Beverly Gaventa did, and they talk about how actually they discovered that Paul actually uses maternal imagery more often than he uses paternal imagery which is a little surprising, but it's, it's there. So he, he describes his like, ministry and, and kind of what's happening with them more in motherly terms. So things like um, giving birth, right? Or, um, or like breastfeeding, nursing, that kind of a thing. Or weaning a child. Like He often will use those kinds of images more often than he does the paternal ones. Now, next week we get a paternal image. And he's gonna, uh, Pastor Nathan's going to walk us through um, kind of Paul describing himself as a father to them. Um, but this is such a beautiful, beautiful picture because this stands in contrast to the salesman or the politician. It stands in contrast to the like career-building, um, empire-building, platform-building person. Here you have instead a nursing mom. And a nursing mom just sits there with the baby, right, and it literally just offers her whole self to that child. So I think of my wife, Laura, and I think of when we had um, our daughters, okay? And I'm saying we, obviously, you guys know I had, um, well, I had something to do with it, but not, um, uh, I held her hand while she was delivering, okay? Let me just put it that way. Let's just let that awkward air clear there. And, um, and uh, but it was, so she was a second grade teacher. She did a phenomenal job. She was like building like, you know, her career in a sense and getting more comfortable as, in her, in her um, you know, capacity as a, as a career person and everything. But when those babies came, um, she was able to stop working. And I mean, like able, but just barely. I mean, we like, vacation was unheard of. Like we just barely made it work on that one salary, but we did. And she was able to stay home with our two girls for, for a while. Now she's back working again. But all I'm trying to say is this, when the babies came, she literally just gave herself to those kids. I mean, not like her life, right? What was her life before? It was like going to, to work and going to do things herself. Once the babies came, she reoriented her entire life such that she could always be available to offer herself to those little babies. Like that's what moms do, right? It, the baby needs something, she's there, she's ready, right? Everything about her life and, and everything about her life and everything about her own body is just like 
a gift to the child. I'm just here to offer myself to you for your like growth and upbuilding. It's a beautiful picture. She did that when uh, she was not working. She's done it still when she's been back to work, still orienting her life, still working in such a way that she's still available to our kids. It's crazy to watch it. And it's such a beautiful picture that stands in opposition to the way that we tend to think about ministering the word of God. And so the question is this, as we, we as a community, right, we're talking about with the Thessalonians, they're this, this community shaped by the word of God. The word of God came to them, and then Paul's saying, here's how we posture ourselves as people who have received the word of God. We're entrusted with it, so how do we posture ourselves here? Like, we, we, we can come into these difficult, hard situations in the midst of people, and, and we can endure that because we're not going to be salespeople. Okay, we're not going to be sleazy about it. We're not going to do all these things. Like, I have a, I have a friend that um, in college, he would spend his college summers, um, he would drive, get into his VW bug and drive across country, which that in itself is an adventure, let me tell you. Drive across country and sell textbooks door to door in the Midwest. Like, that was what he did, okay? And, um, and so he, it's like the epitome of like salesman vibes and everything else. And it was so hard. I mean, the money I don't think was worth it to him. It was so hard. And eventually he stopped doing it after a couple summers because he's like, what am, I, what am I doing? This is terrible, right? If we have a salesman approach to the word of God, it becomes a burden, right? It becomes oppressive to us. And we're stop, we stop and we think, What's the value of this? Like, what am I doing this for? All this sacrifice, all this giving of myself for what, right? But when we have a message, like the gospel, like a God who loves people unconditionally, like a God who looks at people that, that when he sends his son into the world to be with us and to die for us, people that say, okay, thank you for sending your son. We are going to mistreat him. We're not going to listen to him. In fact, we're going to put him to death because we want to be in the right. We want to live the way that we want to live. To those people, Jesus, God the Father still sends his son, Jesus, to lovingly die and just to say, hey, I'm here. I'm ready. Come, experience the love that I have for you. Experience the forgiveness that I have for you. And in the midst of this world, he takes us as a group of people, and he entrusts us with his word and just says, here is the word of God. And the question that we have is, how will we use it? Do we say, how could this benefit me? Or do we say, how, I'm entrusted this, how can I be like a nursing mom with the people around me? How can I just administer this in a way that helps other people grow, that's gentle and nurturing, and that just helps other people find that life in Jesus? Remember, that's our mission statement as Christians, uh, as, as Creeksiders, is um, our mission is that we're going to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same thing. That, that is such a simple statement of just life in Jesus. And I think that's what it being entrusted with the gospel is about. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to find this life. I'm going to let the word of God come into my heart as seeds. And I'm going to let that grow into things, into the world around me. And this is tricky. And this is tricky because I've been thinking this week, um, I've been thinking this week about how we posture ourselves with the word of God. And we don't, we as Christians don't have a great track record with this. Okay. We really don't. So if you go back, um, Thousands of years. Okay, go back to 431 AD, and there's this guy, Nestorius, who um, started using the word, if you can believe it, he started using the word theotokos to talk about Jesus. Okay, can you imagine the horror? So it's a Greek word, it means the mother of God, and he's applying that to Jesus, and because he was using that word, they kicked him out of the church, okay? And there's all kinds of divisions that go since then. You jump down to like 1054 AD, and you have the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Catholic Church, and the Western Church decides they want to say, Filioque, which is a Latin word that means and from the Son. They're talking about the Spirit of God proceeding from the Father and the Son. Anyway, they can't agree on it, so they excommunicate each other, and now we've got two churches, Orthodox and Catholic. Then later we have the Reformation that splits off from the Catholic Church, 
And that one, honestly, I feel pretty good about on the whole, um, to be honest, a lot of the theology of that, but I, I'm saying that as a Protestant, okay? And, but out of the Reformation, these reformers, then immediately there's the Anabaptists come along. And while these reformers are still living, the Anabaptists say, well, yeah, but baptism is like for adults. And so we're going to baptize grown humans instead of just babies. And reformers rejected them, killed them, actually. Really intense struggle, right? You go down to Anglicans splitting off from Catholics and then Anglicans going to America, but they won't ordain Americans. So then you get the Methodist church that comes out of that. Then eventually you get the Episcopalians from the same skirmish in some other different way. It's really confusing how it all works. You get Baptists and Presbyterians who can't agree on how you govern the church and make decisions in the church family or kind of about like how heavy of a hand God has in the role of salvation. All these things we've been splitting off for centuries and centuries and decades and decades. And it's like we've taken the word of God and we've received it. And it's like, we're trying to like box each other out with it. Our posture is like this. Somebody critiqued my form last service. They just don't know what they're talking about. This is great boxing out form. In, in basketball, I'm teaching my girls when the shot goes up, you box out the opponent so they can't get to it. So it's like, we've been taking the word and we're boxing everybody out. And instead Paul's saying, grab the word of God. You're entrusted with it. And let's just be nursing mothers with this thing. Let's just like look at each other. And look, there's things that we can disagree on. I, we, we are not gonna, I, I can promise you, we're not gonna agree on everything. There's some things that are way more important than other things in the word of God. Our posture, regardless of how, um, how intense or how trivial is simply this, the word of God is a gift. It's entrusted to us. So let's receive it. Let's hear it. Let's let it sink down into our heart. Let's let it begin to bear fruit in our lives. Some of the heresy that, that gets confronted in the Bible, Paul calls out Peter on heresy. And the heresy is not because he believed something wrong. The heresy was because he believed that Jews and Gentiles were part of the gospel, but he was living his life in such a way that he was eating with the Jews and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul's like, that is heretical. Not your beliefs, right? But the way that you're living your life in a way that excludes somebody else, that's the heresy. And so for us, the word of God comes, man, it's this beautiful blessing to us. It's a seed that comes down. And man, I just, as I read this, I just see um, these Thessalonians as such a beautiful example of what does it look like to receive the word of God. And I see in this this beautiful gospel of nursing mothers, you know, where we could just be like, it's not my metaphor, it's Paul's. So let's just all be a bunch of nursing moms to each other, okay? Let's be nurturing and loving. Let's take the word of God and say, this matters so much. I'm gonna give, speak this life, live this life into the people around me. Offer my body, myself, everything about me to these people here in this room, all these lovely human beings that are so worthy of investing time and ourselves and our lives and our bodies into, right? But also the people that live all around us, the people that we work with, the people that are, um, you know, around the world and all these kinds of things. Let's invest our lives there too, just like nursing mothers that receive this word and say, this is a gift. I'm going to give myself to them. And I, I say that, I feel like that's a huge ask. Give your whole self, your whole body to the people that are around you. That's a huge, huge ask. But I take comfort in knowing it's God ultimately who's asking for that. And I also say it knowing that I, I believe there's many people here that take that and say, no, that is not asking too much. That is what I, my heart longs for. It's what I want to do. So Creekside Church, um, let's be uh, not people that use the word of God to build a brand, to, to build a style, to build... Um, uh, I don't know, something abstract or whatever. Let's be the group of people that we're just saying, okay, day in, day out, week after week, I'm gonna use the word of God like seeds, just planted down and trusted with this beautiful gospel message that's, in, that's encapsulated in the whole word of God. And let's just plant that as seeds into our own hearts and into each other's hearts. Let's give ourselves like nursing moms to the people that are around us, both the people in this room, the people that are online, the people that are living in our communities and in our workplaces, 
And as we do, let's just enjoy the life that comes through Jesus as he begins to change us and change the people around us. This is so much. It's so simple, but it's just so much of what God wants um, in this world. It's for our posture to be that of nursing moms. So that is a lot, I think, to, to kind of contemplate. And I think that the fear that I have is that we would intellectually take that in and agree with it and not think, how does that look in our daily lives as we let it sink in? And so what we're going to do is give you the gift of a few minutes to be able to process this. And to do that, I'm going to invite Chelsea um, to come up here and, um, and just kind of lead us in pausing and reflecting and, and, and Picture this moment as a time where that seed, what we just heard from the word of God is a seed. So let's take this time to let that seed drop down into our hearts and see what grows in that.